it's not just a scarcity of resources mm. it's a scarcity of dignity as well oh because break that down? yeah so you know yeah we're fighting over resources in our communities yeah. obviously right but the re but there's another there's another scarcity that we're struggling with and that's the scarcity of how we see one another as human beings yeah. and the value of life yeah. um you know gangs started off as resource management organizations like yeah. just trying to help the community and then the when they felt like the resources began to become scarce mm -hmm. you know what they did is they not only fought over the resource they began to see one another as enemies and so therefore you lose the dignity mm -hmm. and then violence it becomes much easier to harm somebody when you don't see them yeah. this is the narrative of slavery this is a narrative of genocide this is yeah. the narrative of tribalism is if you can create some sort of fallacious argument about your your enemy you you demoralize them you dehumanize them then now what it makes it much easier for me to shoot you over a color Yo, what's good, everybody? This is Hafiz, and welcome back to another episode. I know you guys see it's late outside, and usually the nighttime episodes are reserved for uncut. But this week, I have one of my favorite people of all time. You guys know I always talk about my Mount Rushmore of individuals. And, 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 I, and I recently realized, I said, you know what? There's been an individual who has been so pivotal in my life who I have not been talking about enough, especially within the recent episodes. And we are beyond excited about bringing them on. But before we do, do not forget, Friday, December 3rd at 8 p.m., we are having a live show and social in Dallas, Texas. We are beyond excited because it's such a great opportunity for you guys to be able to not only experience an amazing show, but connect with like-minded people. There's no spaces in today's world where young adults can meet and connect with one another. So we're super excited about this show. Get your tickets at roommates2021.eventbrite.com. Link in the description below. We only have 200 tickets available. So when they're gone, they're gone. I really hope to see you guys there. Link in the description below. And I want to bring in this new roommate. This is somebody. I, man, guys, you have to you have to go back. You, you have to go back in the roommate's catalog to really appreciate this new roommate. He was the first, one of the first people to ever be on the show in season one. And also he made a guest appearance again in season three. And he's someone who I've known since I was 19 years old. When I really started my journey of following God and becoming the man he created me to be, I would not be here today without this man. He, I mean, the words cannot describe how much he means to you means to me. So without further ado, please welcome to the show the one and only Show Baraka, aka Show Lewis. <laughs> not, not the government. Not not government. government. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you, man. It's yeah. an honor to be here, bro. On the show, man. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Let me say that I've been Go following ahead. you, man, and uh I said this off camera. But I wanted to reiterate it. It's it's been a pleasure seeing you mature into the individual. I think you should have been a, a all along. Yeah. You had some bumps and some obstacles, <laughs> but sometimes those obstacles and those bumps yeah. create the character that is necessary for us to thrive today. And yeah. uh, and it was it's also beautiful to see you admire men openly and publicly, yeah. right? Because that's lost oftentimes on us men. It's yeah. like being able not only just to give flowers, but also to admire them publicly, yeah. you know what I mean? To say how much I love or appreciate this man in my life without making it 
emasculated, if of you course. will. Of course. No, so. man. I, I think, man, I, I tell you that all the time how much you mean to me. I think when I was, um, for a lot of, a lot of you guys may not know, um, when I became a Christian at 19, I was living in Atlanta. And I was working at a church. And one of the, the most pivotal things to me was I was so obsessed with mentorship, a.k.a. discipleship, right? I was obsessed with it. I was trying to get time with any guy in the world. And, you know, and I know for, I felt like Roger from Sister Sister because I was such a brother popping up annoying folks. I know. I was, I oh, was, oh, Roger. <laughs> I was such a needy kid, man. And, and I know I had a lot of growing to do, but I can honestly say, man, you were somebody who was was always there. You know what I mean? You were somebody who, if I needed to talk to someone, you were always there. And, and to me, I've modeled so much of my life by who you are. Because most people don't know, but, you know, show was a big-time guy. <laughs> and, uh, and especially in the spaces we were in, you were a celebrity. But the way you moved, especially in the church, in the community, like, you, no one could tell because there was such a an aura of humility about you. You know, you may not be the most humble guy, but there's definitely an aura of well, humility. You got to feel yourself a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm something special. Yeah, yeah and, and so you. to me, I, I always said, if I ever become someone as successful as Uncle Show, I want to walk in that humility. Amen. So I've always, that, so. those are the two things for me. And, and, and man, I, I want to give you a lot of flowers before we get started. Do you mind? You mind? No, uh, yes, yes. Just go ahead and do it. Just do what you got to do, bro. Because I appreciate it. And here's another thing. Yes. It's not only that we need to give, we need to learn how to receive too. Oh, yeah. And so I was like, uh, it's going to be awkward. But you know what? I got to yes. learn how to take, bro. Yes. So, yeah. So on my Mount Rushmore, like I said, I recently realized I've neglected you because for me, I had the Gary V's, the, the Jordan Petersons, the Mark Driscoll, give or take how people feel on the list. But because they influenced me so much in regards to information. I'm an information stimulation kind of guy. Those three men gave me so much information that shaped the way I view the world today. But I can honestly say you are a, are a Hall of Fame liver huh. of life. Not saying you're not a great teacher because obviously you're a professor. You'll tell the people a little bit more about that later. But you are a Hall of Fame liver of life. And, like and what I mean I like by that. that is like... I judge a man off of three things. I judge him. I judge him based upon how his family views him. I judge him based upon how society views him, and I judge him based upon how he carries himself. So okay. how he views himself, right? Yeah, yeah, Self, yeah. family, society. To me, you're somebody who your work speaks for itself. What you've done, like you've left a legacy on this planet, and you have, and you're not even halfway through this race. So your work has spoken for itself. But to me, the Hall of Fame happens when, when you're that successful as an individual, but then as a father, then as a husband. You know what I mean? And then everyone around you loves you. And like to me, it's like you don't really see, you, you see one or the other, right? You see the guys who are expert livers of life, but then when it comes to their families, it's in disarray. And so to me, you've always modeled to me a man who can be extremely successful, not only in business, but also in family and the community. And so I know I'm spoiled because my life is filled with men like you who've walked before me and shown me the way. Like, I'm 31. I met you when I was 19. So imagine, like, you were probably around my age when I met you. 
Yeah. yeah, probably a little bit younger. Yeah, yeah, a little bit younger. Don't want to date you too much. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe too you old. Maybe too old. So I, I got to see things that you had to learn. Yeah. So you learned the hard way. I had to learn through your your example, that's, the easy yeah, way. Man. Well, I think that's, and, but that's what yeah. we live for. That's what yeah. we live for. People right now are Googling me. They can't <laughs> like, they're going to be disappointed. <laughs> they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but we can do this for the next hour. You yeah. can just shower me with no, praise. I, I'll take it. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's important, man, because... Like, I just, for me, I value people who didn't have to do what they did. Like, when I was younger, I just know I was so annoying. <laughs> no, man, it's not annoying. Yeah. I think I think what it is is oftentimes when we see mentor-mentee relationships, there is an expectation that needs to be communicated. Yeah. And when you see something or someone you admire, you want to be around that. Yeah. But mentors are mentors for a reason. They got there because there's something desirable about them. And the more desirable you are, you have to understand that you're spread thin. And I think sometimes what happens is you don't prioritize the people that you probably should be pouring into. And it's the syndrome with people who make a good album and then their second album is not good is because they get new concerns, right? You know what I'm saying? They're so They're, they're trying to maintain status and fame the, the, the famous pastors that you mentioned, the famous philosophers and thinkers, what happens is they got there because people admired their work and they were like, well, come speak here. Come do this. Come do that. And you get so bogged down with the doing of the things and not being with the people. And eventually what happens is, is like the Hafizas come around. It's like, yo, yo, yo. And you like, one second, I got to go do this. I got to go speak at this conference. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. One second, I got to go do this. I got to yeah. do that. And when at the end of the day, the conferences fall apart. The, the books, you know, stop selling. It's the people. It's the legacy. And I would like to think that I've tried to invest great equity in the human beings, yeah. the human capital versus just the, the things that will fall apart at some point. There's three things that you've said in your in interviews where I've been I, I would listen to some of your content and three things you said shaped my life. The, one of the first thing that you said was I think it was like in 2011 mm. and you were talking about how. You would go, you were going to from show to show, no pun intended. <laughs> You're going to show to show, yeah. and you were preaching about the importance of the local church. And then you realize right. I haven't been to church in months. <laughs> and so to me, yeah. you were like, I can't just say I'm doing right, this. Right. I gotta actually do it. And that was a part for you, I think was really pivotal for me, was just like. It's so easy to to be that guy where people pay you to teach things that you may not be doing anymore. Bro, 80% of conferences are people who philosophize about the idea but don't do the idea. We don't we don't we don't we don't applaud. Well, we applaud, but we don't reward practitioners mm, because good. they don't know how to communicate it in an eloquent way. And wow, so what happens is, is, well, if we can just get the dude who actually does good work in the community just to to get on stage, it'll bore us to tears because they don't know how to communicate it. But if we get somebody who's eloquent, then we'll pay that individual the money. And then the next conference, we're like, oh, that man was mind blowing. But when we look at his resume CV, you're like. He ain't really doing it. <laughs> so yeah, I do think there is this celebrity. I mean, we love celebrity. And it's good. I don't wanna I don't wanna I don't wanna knock celebrity like it's all bad. Like, I mean, we have our platforms because we've been good at something and somebody rewards that. And then eventually people ask us about our opinions on stuff that we're not qualified to speak on. <laughs> yeah. And we we don't stop. Sometimes it's, there's a great reward in shutting your mouth. Yeah. But <laughs> and that's a, that's a that's a talent and a gift. But there's also 
this um, benefit that we have in being able to speak to things because we are expert in something else. You know what I mean? Man, I think that part is so powerful because to me, what excites me about the platform, and we'll talk a lot about different things, the book, all these things in my mind, but what excites me about my platform is I'm able to introduce men to so many individuals they may never come across in their life. And I think what happens is the internet is filled with philosophers. Yeah. People will tell you theories about marriage or parenthood or things like that or whatever it may be. A lot of philosophers, but then to me, I love guys like you because I've seen it. I've, I have 11 years of objective evidence of, be, of Uncle Show being a father, Uncle Show being a husband, Uncle Show being a business leader, Uncle Show being a community leader. It's not just some guy sharing his opinions. Yeah. I always say I'm a guy who shares my opinions. I'm I'm not I'm not in my prime. Like there'll be a time when I'm be after me being a father and a husband where my words are gonna be weighty, but I'm a parrot right now. I just say what smart guys like you have said before and repeat it, right? And so I'm It's a, good that you recognize but I, but I don't 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 say yourself short. You have experience. The 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 mirroring of people in itself is valuable evidence yes. and it's valuable resource. So yeah. The, the the reason why I am who I am is because I watched somebody do it yeah. or I didn't watch somebody do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so therefore that's a, that's a tool in the toolbox. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, I mean, I will say to some degree, acknowledge that, yeah. live there, but also don't sell yourself short, um, too short. You yeah. know what I mean? But no. yeah. Appreciate that, man. So Uncle Show, for those who don't know who you are, can you give a bit of an uh, elevator pitch synopsis about who you are and all that good stuff? Yeah, so I am, um, most people, I started off my, I guess you can say, <laughs> whatever celebrity I had, it started off in, in the, the Christian music space, uh, more specifically Christian hip hop, right? And so I uh, had like a couple albums, was with a, a pretty popular label. Um, I'll just say, go ahead and say, uh, some of you guys may know, like the Lecrae's, Lecrae and I, and a couple other artists were on the same label. We started together, not too far from where we are right now in Denton, Texas at, at college. Uh, I went to Tuskegee University first, and then I went to University of North Texas. And uh, we released some music, it took off. Years of success, touring, getting, platforms here and there conferences here and there and then i realized i was like yo i don't know if i like this space anymore. <laughs> i'm just there's certain things that i want to speak to that i don't feel um i'm rewarded to speak to here and so i left the label i uh, started to make more conscious socially conscious music uh, music that was dealing with uh, things that i felt like i was wrestling with imagine i'm in my late 20s i'm a married man i have i have two children at this point how One, old were you when you got married I was 23. Okay. 23 when I got married. A very my wife stole my youth. <laughs> She's an older woman, so she knew what she was doing. She was like, "I gotta get me one of these young <laughs> So uh, yeah, um, I was a I was a married man. I had two children. I also had a, a kid on the autism spectrum, or I have. And so at that point, I'm making music. I'm from Southern California. I've experienced the Rodney King beating firsthand, OJ trials, race riots, all kinds of just racial tension. Oscar Grant was something that really hit me hard, but yet and still I'm supposed to get up and make these young white kids jump, mm. jump. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. like, I'm a grown ass man. I'm not about to be doing this no more. Talk about these issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I probably can't do that here. And yeah. so uh, what ended up happening is I started to change the content. And I noticed when I started to change my content, 
there were certain groups of people who began to shun me, but there were other people who began to accept me and embrace me. If I wasn't going to do concerts at particular festivals anymore, but now I'm getting speaking opportunities at colleges or I'm getting speaking opportunities at this organization or it's consulting here and there. And so though my, my musical career kind of to start to fade a little bit, the speaking and intellectual kind of like capacity raised. And so who I am now is more of a, uh, a creative intellectual, right? I've been a part of musicals. I, I am, a, depending on who you are, I'm, a, I guess, an adjunct professor, visiting professor, uh, artist in residence at Wake Forest University and also at Warner Pacific in uh, Oregon. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other things that I just wrote a book. He saw that it was good. Um, when that come out? That came out in May okay. of uh, this year, so um, of 2021. And uh, it's just my uh, offering on how creation and vocation has ethics and no work is agnostic. It's always communicating something. We're working either for the flourishment of our neighbor, the flourishing of our neighbor or for the detriment. And to think that the work I do has no repercussions on the impact of my community is I think a very uh, incomplete view of how work embodies itself and how it incorporates itself in the the development of a city. Mm. You know what I mean? So, and I just use a lot of history. I use a lot of like faith-based elements. I talk about um, my own personal experiences, and I just kind of like paint it that way in a in a in a creative way. And then I'm, I'm a fan of fiction, so I I incorporate short stories and some poems and shorts and stuff in there. Okay, so. Um... What do you feel like is the biggest takeaway you want people to get from the book? That your own personal, I'll, I'll say too, for the, for the people who don't have a, 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 a faith base, I will say that your work, your, what you create has an impact on how other people flourish are, 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 What's the the, uh, the the juxtaposition of flourish would be fail fail there you yeah, go yeah, I was just yeah. like I'm here. <laughs> the professor fella um, so yeah whether your work has an impact on the society's flourishing for the for the for the Christian out there I would say there's a there's another element that I would like to communicate is that the gospel message is more than just a message of my personal relationship with God. It's not only about your personal relationship with God, it's about your personal relationship with other people, your relationship with yourself, but also your relationship with the land and how you create and how you, you make. And uh, in Genesis, we see God creating human beings to have a relationship with him, relationship with one another, and relationship with the land and how we create and cultivate. And Genesis talks about subduing and cultivating and, 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 uh, and multiplying. And oftentimes when we talk about the redemption that Jesus brings, we only talk about, oh, he's here to redeem our relationship with God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that gives people the excuse to be very pious, but then create an earthly hell for other folks to live in. Yeah. And we see that in the policies we promote. We see that in how we work. You could talk about a pimp who obviously the world would say that's a demoralizing work. That's a demoralizing job, a demoralizing vocation, and that pimp needs to find a new work because it's not only a, a, a distorted view of himself uh, or distorted view of the, 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 the women or the men that he's taking advantage of, but it's a distorted view of himself. Well, would we say the same thing about a predatory lender, you know what I'm saying, who his work is very legal, but in the same sense, that work creates a detriment to the communities in which people are being taken advantage of 
with these like payday loans and things like that. So our work has a paramount impact on society and our creation, art, storytelling has a paramount view, uh, paramount work on how just simple stories. And I talk about this in the book real briefly. My mom told me I look good in red when I was seven years old. <laughs> and guess what? Red is my favorite color to this day. Oh, wow. And it's just because she told me I look good. Yeah. And so you, and guess what, bruh? I grew up in a crip neighborhood. <laughs> so I was like, I'm willing to die for this, yeah, bro. I'm yeah, willing yeah. to die because my mom affirmed me. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. think about the adverse stories that we hear constantly yeah. about who you are as a black man, as yeah. a male, as this, as that. People tell stories that create formation in us. Storytelling yeah. is identity formation. Yeah. And so we need to tell better stories. So yes. All right, we're going to take a quick break from this week's episode to talk to you guys about our amazing new sponsors over at Shortform. Guys, you know part of the leveling up process is that you have to become educated. You have to improve your mind because a man with a powerful mind is a powerful man indeed. So the amazing thing about short form is short form allows a lot of you guys who are not the most apt at reading to be able to get amazing summaries of books. So this includes books that you may be interested in reading, books you've read in the past, or simply books that you just want to get more information about. So go to shortform.com slash roommates get your five-day free trial of short form i'm telling you you guys will love it remember one of my favorite books is 12 rules for life by dr jordan peterson and i'll be honest with you guys that book is a bit of a dense book but the amazing thing about short form is it gives you an amazing summary of the book before you read it so you have a better understanding of it go to shortform.com slash the roommates sign up today start leveling up your mind and let's get back to this week's episode no, this is really good. I think to me, I think the gospel, the Christian message, and then what I see what you're what you're doing, it's it starts the identity mm. building, and from building the identity, it builds out everything else. Yeah, yeah. And so to me, I, I've I've said there's three things I feel like men and women obviously are lacking today that you had in the past was purpose, identity, and community. Mm. I mean, obviously there's a bajillion other things, yeah. right? But it's like, you know, the the family name will give you identity, right? Like, you you know, you're uh, whatever your last name is. That's my family. That's my identity. You know, the community will give you purpose. You're a soldier. You're this, you're that. And then, you know, now obviously you have the community and also God gives you your purpose. So to me, I look at a lot of people, they struggle with that first identity piece. And because they don't have that identity piece, like you said, now the work becomes predatory. Yeah. So for example, I think, and we'll get into a little bit more of the extreme content. I'm so cognizant of the work that I do yeah. because like you said, the gospel shapes the way I view life. And I realize that the work I can do yeah. can affect others yeah. and it can build neighborhoods, but also tear them down. Absolutely. And so for me, there's a lot of things that we do that doesn't intentionally that we could make so much more money, right. but we know this will be so much hurtful to other people absolutely and so i think your book is really powerful because i think a lot of men struggle with identity so much and, and women as well i don't think it's only for men but <laughs> a lot of people struggle with identity so much by being able to have a strong identity you're able to you know then branch out and do a lot of great work bro let me praise you for a second i think you know i know you wanted to be a pastor at one point in time but i do think what you're doing is very pastoral it is i think what you're doing is you're you you have I don't want to demean what the church is, but you have a you have a church, you have a flock, you have a congregation that you speak to, and you're very strategic in how you preach the message, 
And I think it's so imperative that individuals like you, I'm acting like the cameras ain't here right now. It's almost like, man, it's so imperative that individuals like you go outside the church and do these, this very thing because there are so many people who I'm sure who watch your, your, your shows and your channel who will never darken the doors of a church, as they say, you know what I mean? But what they're getting is worldview transformation in a way that some people could say subversive or whatever, but it's, it's beautiful, bro. It's beautiful. I, I often talk to co college students. I often talk to folks, and I'll be like, look, college ministry and vocational ministry is great. I want you to do, look, but have you ever thought of just being an excellent Christian in the engineering world? Have you ever thought of just, like, we just need, we just need people who aren't going to cut corners <laughs> and think about their work as excellence. When they wake up in the morning, they'll be like, man, I have an opportunity to create culture today. Yeah. And I think that's what you're doing on this channel, man. And I, I, I it's so pastoral and, and everybody can't do that. Everybody, everybody doesn't think strategically and missionally. If we can get like the yeah. Christianese word, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and how you do, and I think that's dope. I think that's yeah. extremely thoughtful. But to me, um, your which album was this? Your third album, Talented Tenth. Was that your third? Or your... Yes, third, third, third city, Talented Tenth. And can you break down to people what the the W E Dubois terms Talented Tenth mean? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> depending on who you are, it may come off as elitist, but. Um, it was basically his philosophy that as a people, what we need to do is propel the 10%, the, the, the educators, the, the, the intellectuals of our society, because that 10% will open up more doors and create more opportunities for the 90% of folks, right? Um, so very intellectual, very uh, blue blood culture, just, hey, let's study languages let's flood our talented with academia are in the academia academic world and then send them back to our our particular hubs and in in spaces so that they can influence the rest of us um, as opposed to like a booker t who was like well let's teach agrarian lifestyles let's build institutions without even kind of being antagonizing to white culture um and so yeah it was his, his one of his I'll sum it up like this. His, his idea was our goal is just not to make men carpenters, but to make carpenters men. You know what I'm saying? And then how, how did that influence your album? So what was the theme of your album? So the theme of my album, the, the, one of the main reasons why I called it Talented Tenth is because he originally got that idea from, I think it was a Northern Missionary Baptist movement, which was basically this idea of discipleship, yeah. right? It's just how do we take men who are exceptional in the culture and say your responsibility is to raise up other men yeah you know what i mean good. and so the boys took it and made it more secular he said well this is i love this philosophy um and he he moved towards agnosticism and later in his life but he was you know a, pretty much a, a baptist young man um and so um he and alexander crummel both had this idea of like you know what we want to do is <laughs> it sounds really harsh but how do we civilize yeah the Africans and, but do it in a way, at least with black dignity, if, if you will, not like from the white posture. And so in a sense, this was Du Bois's way of kind of mentoring people. This is what we need to do. Let's study the French. Let's study these great languages. Let's study philosophies, get into sociologies, but let's go back to uh, uh, the, the rural areas, go back to the sticks and 
dignify the black mind in a way that white people will never do it. Um, and probably to this point, like white people don't have the opportunity or don't have the capacity to do it like we have. And so my philosophy was, is let's get back to the discipleship model. Who here has something to impart to people? You have talent, you have treasure, you have time and success apart from passing it down is just, it's just vanity. And so my goal is like, Hey, there are people out here who are, breaking they're dying culture is falling apart and there are some talented people up here there are some people who have giftings there are people who have talents and what we must do is die to ourselves and give ourselves to the culture and so it was just basically like this is my my treatise of saying if you have talent if you have time and you have treasure use that for the benefit of other people i love it and it goes right in hand in hand with the message of your book and and this is why I'm excited about having you here. Literally, I, I feel as though this is probably, it's like the vine you came on this week because um, I was reading your article and we talked about it on Friday about why, about unemployment being so high in the black community. Yeah. Um, and that article led me into the article that we'll also be talking about today. The link is in the description below. I'll, I'll link it this time, I always forget. Article we're talking about today and, it, and the title is, um, The Challenges Facing Black Men in the Case for Action. And so to me, um, the article was really powerful because it, it talks so much about the state of, of, of black men um, in today's society. And, and to me, one of, the, one of the desires and passions of my heart, like you said, is to use my time, treasure and talents to help these men. And so I think if after looking at the article, obviously it's a secular perspective and obviously Brookings is a very left-leaning organization, so it'll be more policy than personal responsibility. But I really want to talk about these things because I want to leave the world better than how I left it. And and to me, what, what broke my heart so much recently was two things. The first thing was how I was reading in another article when they were saying how black men have the lowest upward mobility of all races and ethnicities, races and genders in America. Yeah. The lowest rate of upward mobility. That broke my heart. And, they, and, and there was another study which was showing that um, almost 42% of black men are born into the bottom, bottom 25% of society. 45% are born in the bottom 25%. And they say over 54 stay in the bottom 25%. And so to me, it, it, that, that hurt me. Yeah. That really broke my heart because it's like how many generations from when Booker T or Ron Dubois was talking about struggle, now their great, great, great grandchildren are still in the same struggle. That broke my heart. And the second thing, we, we probably won't spend too much time on that, and I talked about it ad nauseum, was the homicide in a black community that we neglect so much because we're looking at some CDC data and the leading cause of death for black males is homicide around our age demographic from 20 to 44, it was 27%. And when you look at white males, it was only 2% and all males, I believe it was either like 7.8%. So to me, it's just like, like you said, going back to your book about the image, the you know the the image, you know the identity, the hatred, the anger, and so I wanted to use your mind to be able to help men yeah. and help us find solutions 
to progress forward in society because what breaks my heart is how many little boys who are being raised today will experience the same fate as their fathers and their forefathers before them. Yeah. So I, one, let me just say that I'm not an economist nor a behavior analysis yeah. <laughs> analyst. So a lot of, you know, I'm, I will be getting out of my depth, <laughs> yeah. but um, I think that the things you, you mentioned are, are important, bro. Like it, there is a sense of when, you know, you, you, you on a, on a philosophical level, when you look at that number of homicide, that rate, you, there's something fragmented somewhere in the narrative of black life. There's fragmentation. There's some sort of dissonance. Now, yeah, we can talk about policies. We can talk about his systemic racism, but there is a point in which we began to believe the nihilism. Like we began to embody that. And to your point, like, yeah, there is policy, but there's also personal responsibility. There's this idea of political capital, but there's human capital, there's human responsibility. And so at what point do we begin to, uh, we, gotta, we just gotta be honest. Yeah. And I think oftentimes because our world is so polar, like polarized and political, it's like, uh, we can't even decide on wearing masks or not. It's like, yeah, yeah, we yeah. gotta turn that into a political argument. Yeah. But because of that, we, we, we position ourselves in particular tribes and dare we ever disagree with that tribe. Mm. And this is why I love individuals like you is because you'll have, you know, the Candace Owens on mm. and you'll have the Charlemagnes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll have the varying perspectives. And I think that makes informed individuals. And so what we have here is some sort of disconnect mm -hmm. on how we see one another. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and a lot of it is a scarcity. It's not just a scarcity of resources. Mm. It's a scarcity of dignity as well. Oh, because you break that down? Yeah, so, you know, yeah, we're fighting over resources in our communities, yeah. obviously, right? But, the, but there's, another, there's another scarcity that we're struggling with, and that's the scarcity of how we see one another as human beings yeah. and the value of life. Yeah. Um, you know, gangs started off as resource management organizations, like yeah. just trying to help the community and, and then the when they felt like the resources began to become scarce you know what they did is they not only fought over the resource they began to see one another as enemies and so therefore you lose the dignity and then violence it becomes much easier to harm somebody when you don't see them this is the narrative of slavery this is a narrative of genocide this is the narrative of tribalism is if you can create some sort of fallacious argument about your your enemy you, you demoralize them, you dehumanize them, then now what, it makes it much easier for me to shoot you over a color? Yeah. Over, I mean, look, I, I am not the kind of person who will sit and say that all pathologies in the black community are things that we must, um, are, are our own fault, if you will. I mean, there are obviously things, whether it be housing disparities, education, prison, I mean, there are a lot of, but there comes a point where I, you know, like my grandma, you gotta, you know, you gotta. At some point, you gotta look at yourself in the mirror and say, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna allow white supremacy to be my god." Yeah, and that to me, and I, and I go to Toni Morrison is one of my heroes. I love Toni Morrison, and I think it was in '72 or '71. I can't remember. She gave a speech at Portland State, and she says basically like, racism is Maine's goal. Maine's goal. Main goal is to distract you because it keeps you always trying to prove, in so many words, your dignity. They say you don't have a language, well you gotta prove that. They say you don't have art, well you have to prove that. Say you don't have culture, well you have to prove that. And all these things keep you from 
being productive. And so oftentimes what happens is when we constantly chasing white supremacy around the room, what happens is, is we're so busy trying to nail down what white supremacy is when there's a lot of work we could have gotten done. Um, and I think also a lot of what happens in our spaces, we're, we're, we're so often talking about inclusion in white spaces that we forget that we can build <laughs> stable black spaces. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so it's easier said than done, obviously, but the, the tension is, is there's a lot of building that can happen in these particular communities where I think oftentimes we are allowing the political allegiances to deter us from being productive and not saying, like, think about it. If the boys and Booker T would have just put their differences down, boys with his intellect, Booker with his institutional building, we would have, we would be a lot further than we are right now. But for all intents and purposes, the boys didn't really leave anything behind other than his intellectual thought, which is a lot. Yeah. But there's no real like there's nothing I can feel. Booker T did. Booker yeah. T left the univer he left universities. But even in that, like th they could have benefited from the thinking and the thought of a Du Bois. Yeah. We're so busy trying to figure out who's the right black person yeah. that we don't get any shit done, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, bro. You no, know. you no, trust me, you're good, you're good, you're good. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Now that's that's powerful, man. And I and I think to me, it's uh and you've talked about it in the past, like it's an Imago Day issue. Yeah. And and I remember you told me a couple of years ago you're watching a Louis Farrakhan interview and he was talking about Rihanna. I don't know if you remember this point. I do. Before you finish that, I realized that I got that story wrong now. Okay. But you can you can you can tell it. It's funny in writing the book because I put it in my book and uh, then you know everything you reference you have to do like extensive yeah, research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come to find out. The story didn't happen quite like that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. funny you brought that up, yeah, though. Yeah, it's yeah. funny you brought because it's it's crazy because I had to take that out the book. Okay, nevertheless, but <laughs> but, but the point is this though. Let me share it anyway, yeah, and yeah, we yeah. can just say yeah. that. It, yeah. So the the basic theme was that you know instead of looking at her like how dare you do X Y Z you lowly individual, it's like you know you beautiful amazing daughter. How could you degrade yourself to the levels where you're supposed to be on a higher level? Absolutely. Yeah. And so to me that's how it happened in my mind <laughs> right. and so to me i think um what 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 always stood out to me that you always talk about is being able to look at the other person like they're a human being absolutely and and one of the things that people this is where people always confuse my allegiance on the show uh-huh because when people come on i treat them with so much kindness and friendliness and warmth that people think i believe everything that they say and, and so, so many people want, oh, I want you to kill him. I want you to expose him. I want you to destroy him, you know? Destroy. Hafiz destroys Candace Owens. Yeah, you know what I mean? They want, they want that. Right. But why don't you? Huh? Why don't you? Because like you said, it's building, there's a cannibalism, I've noticed, in the black community. There's something in us where it's like, we see red when we see each other. That energy, especially towards white people, they don't have it as much. But you, they'll shoot and kill you. There's something so easy for us to fight each other. And that's when, like, when people are like, oh, do you know so-and-so this said this about so-and-so said I'm like, you don't understand. I'm not a child like they are. Come on. You know, like, respectfully. <laughs> I'm not a child like they are. And I understand that if men are fighting each other over petty grievances online, what are we going to tell those 13-year-old kids who are in Chicago, who are in these different parts of town, who are fighting each other over flat colors and, sh and right, things right, like right, that? Right. So to me, 
it's in the black community, we don't have a value for life, which is why I love your book so much because once you, once you have that identity and know who you are, then you're better able to value your brother. And so to me, that's probably the most heartbreaking thing, just the, the, just the desire of attacking, um, you know, slandering, tearing each other down, even to, you know, all hatred is, is think about it. What did Jesus said in the gospel? You know what I mean? Whoever murdered, hates someone in their heart, it committed a crime of murder. And so I don't know, man, it, it breaks my heart, the, 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 the bitterness. And Dr. King, I, I've been looking for this quote for the longest, but he said, he said something. He said, we've been infected with the syringe of immorality. And that imagery is just like, it's exactly what happens. Literally, it's a virus that corrupts our system and it causes us to hate each other, man. And so, yeah, I don't know, man. It's, That's just it's, heartbreaking. It, it, no, man. it is. It's very heartbreaking. Yeah. But yeah, I, you, we can, you can talk about this for ages. I do think, but even on the flip side of that, in the midst of the pain, and I know you, you believe this, and in the midst of the tension and the turmoil, there's beautiful life that comes oh, from yeah. these black communities. Black people aren't a monolith, as we know. Mm -hmm. There's, there's, if anything, your what your show communicates is that there's, there's a beautiful diversity within yeah. black thought as mm -hmm. well. Like black people, black thought. You are a, a brother who's from West Africa. Your your people are from yeah. West Africa, and so. Even in that, like, there's a difference that we have. Yeah. My name is Shobaraka, but I, I ain't know where I'm from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm from California. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, yeah. my mom's read a book and was like, I'm going to name you after Amiri Baraka. <laughs> yeah. um, so there's, there's, there's a, and I think once we understand that, that diverse, see, we place lip service. The black people ain't no monolith. But the moment somebody diverts from the plan, yeah. we shame that person. Yeah. We want to give them up in the racial draft. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to trade them for Rachel Dollars all or something like that. But that's, that's, to me, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Because the thing that you're talking about with white people is, is that they don't believe, I don't want to say they don't, they have the appearance that there's enough dignity to go around Right. One, I think it's easy because when you are the dominant culture and you historically have been oppressors, then there's somebody to lavish your frustration against. Right. You know what I'm saying? But I will say the beauty of black life is we resilience and 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 and, and making it through all the tensions. But there has to be this this sense of we have to be able to allow diversity to run around within our tribe because the it's killing us to not allow that to happen. You know what I'm saying? The moment where, where, where Stokey Carmichael becomes Kwame Touré and he splits from the, the, the civil rights movement, it's like we had to pit the black conscious movement against the civil rights movement. And guess what? That fragmentation is going to create no productivity. Yeah. But what happens when you bring those folks together, you accomplish so lot, I mean, so much. And I still don't think <laughs> 1619... 1863, I don't know, the, the Reconstruction, Civil Rights Movement, 2021. Yeah. We still do not know how to collaborate in the black communities. No. That, and diversity. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. No, that's so good, man. And I, and I think to me, that's, that, that's one of the things I've, I've strived to show. You know, I've strived to show that, because I think there, there, there's, the cannibalism exists where it's like, 
only one of us can be master's favorite. You know what I mean? Like, so so it exists Once where, again, that's scarcity. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That scarcity mindset where you and I both can't win. Right. You and I can't both right. be successful. For you to, it's like a, what's it called? A zero-sum game. For yeah. you to win, I must lose. Right, right. And so I think so many of the men have that mindset. Yeah. And to me, that mindset is a virus yeah. because it looks at your immediate brother as the enemy. Because yeah. any way he's successful, I'm losing at it. Bad. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel, if I can be very transparent with you, I feel that in, in, in the art world. Yeah. It's like there are times when I see my brother succeed and I'll be like, oh, man. And then immediately I'm like, bro, that's... Celebrate that. Yeah. Celebrate that. Just because they're winning don't mean that you can't win. Yeah. Celebrate that, man. Yeah. Like, um, I think that's a, a critical lesson throughout the scriptures. Moses is driving himself crazy because he's trying to do everything. And his father says, hey, bro, you need to appoint elders because if you don't, you're going to kill yourself. What is that? That's a dis dissemination. That's a, 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 a passing of responsibility. Good men aren't afraid of other talented men. Yeah. And they're willing to be Jesus and say, unto you, I give you power. Go forth and be great. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Even if that means replacing me. Mm -hmm. And I'm always wary of people who don't celebrate other people and don't have other strong people around them. Yeah. Because that shows a sign of weakness because you're intimidated by other great men or other great people. And uh, I do think that's a, a form of scarcity. And so I just think there's, I mean, we're, we're painting in broad strokes, but I do believe that there is a sense that um, we, within our communities, there, the whiteness or whatever you want to call it has pitted us against one another in a way that we still haven't lost. I mean, for instance, um, you know, I, I, you know, the, the, the trials, the Albury trial, the Rittenhouse trial is going on. Oh, well, the Rittenhouse just... Uh, came the verdict came down not guilty but then the same week I, I don't know this rapper but young Dolph is shot in Memphis and I'm sitting here thinking like we're gonna put all our energy in being upset about Kyle Rittenhouse though right yeah like that's that's what we're doing that's that's all our anger that's all our rage is there it's not with this young Dolph situation like we're not gonna be up in arms about this young man and I don't know and I, and I maybe I don't know much about his life but from what I understand he was a family man he, you know trying to change it a, but this is you know what I mean like we have to be outraged about that and the reason my my theory on why we can get upset with systems is because there's an accountability to systems right and you run up on police and they do crazy things they should be there should be some sort of repercussion for their actions but you run up on gangsters that's why there's no real and I uh, may be talking reckless here, but I think about like drill culture, drill music in Chicago. Man, that's demonic, bro. There's nothing, it's demonic music. But are we like really creating real, like these jokers kill people, then write songs about who they killed and celebrate it. These are young men who had family members and we're, 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 purchasing this music we're celebrating this music like that to me is ridiculous and that's part of the reason that's part of it we can't just ignore that we can't just say no it's only this no we're benefiting we're and here's the other thing about i think 
a lot of what the uh the 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 the, the political and activist culture um were you were you trying to say that the activist culture allows us to be somewhat outraged over the behavior, the way the others treat us and put all of our emphasis on the, the systems and the things that may be outside of our immediate control and doesn't lead us to have accountability for the way we treat ourselves. No, I mean, that's true. It wasn't that, but I, I would say yes. Yeah. I would say that is... Um, I got so busy trying to figure out the right word that I, I forgot what I was going to say. I hate say. when that happens. It'll come back, it'll come back randomly in the next 10 minutes. But yeah, cool. um, yeah man, I just, I just feel like there's, there has to be a both-and mentality. Yes, 100%. A both-and. Like the, we keep the system accountable. You march, you protest. I think you protest more with your money. Yeah. And <laughs> don't be yawning while I'm talking. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you protest with... We got to learn how to protest more with our money and our elite. Because look, let me see. These corporations know how to pimp us, bro. They've been pimping the black dollar forever, bro. They, you know, these they come around. They talk about this solidarity and da da da. But their boards are still the same. They don't really invest really in the black communities. And you know, anyway, they pay people pennies and let us die. So anyway, it's um, it's 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 accountability, not just with the systems, but we also have to be very vigilant. And there are people who do this. There are different initiatives that stop the violence, that engage young men and women in communities. So I'm not saying like nobody does it, but the amount, if you leave it up to the Twitter world, you would make it seem like our greatest issues is that this young white man carried a gun and shot three other white men. And that's the, that's the greatest problem with the black community. That's a problem. But there are other problems as well. Yeah. And some of these problems is that this very people who claim to be the <laughs> the arbiters of all that is black don't actually really care about black people. Oh, wow. They they don't invest in the black communities. They don't live in black communities. Some of them even married to black people. You know what I'm saying? So first of all, let's 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 check your lifestyle and see where you are invested in. Let's see what you really are doing. And then maybe you can tell me about what black people need to do. And to add to that tangent, I do think there's a level of arrogance in the and this is where I go back to the Du Bois elitism with talent at 10. There's a bit of arrogance to think that just because I'm educated, I know what's best for a people group. Like just because I, I spent some time at Tuskegee mm, or I yeah. spent my years in Harvard, <laughs> that I can go back and I can tell people in Chicago like, oh, yo, this is what you need to do. I can give suggestions, right? But I think we, we, we spout from our ebony towers as if we are the arbiters of all what is good, true, righteous, and real, and uh, without actually being invested. And I think we talk about research. I think the defund the police movement was one of the main ones. It's like, if you listen to the Twitter world and Twitter activists, you would make it seem like everybody wanted to defund the police. But when you actually talk to people in those communities, it's like, no. Yeah. I don't want, I live in, well, I don't live in the hood, but I live kind of yeah, hood-ish, hood adjacent. <laughs> and I, I, I think about if they were to like burn down one of the grocery stores that's walking distance from my house, it's not the best. But where's, you know, the people who have to walk to the grocery store, where are they going to now get their groceries? They don't, we assume they have transportation to get to play. They have the money. They have the luxury to get to the Whole Foods. Like, and we have to start thinking more uh, uh, deeply about these policies before we just spout out good things just because 
it's a soundbite that's popular on Twitter. It's like, man, let's think deeply about what the community really needs. Yeah, no, this is good. And and, and this is where um, I see a little pivot. So I want to take a, a brief detour. Um, this, so I love your point. The black community is not a monolith. We always say that, but we also have to, you know, show examples of that. They, like, there's not every black person is poor. Not Thanks. every black person is a murderer. Not every black person is a criminal, right? We have we have people on all shades of the of the colors, all ends of the spectrum, right? So I want to make it clear that we're not when we talk about some of these issues, we're not saying that this is everybody. But to me, I've always had a heart for the least of these. I've always had a heart for those who are, you know, on the outskirts of society, those individuals who are at the bottom um, and, and not succeeding as much. So, so specifically, I, I, I focus a lot of my energy just naturally on those individuals. And so to me, what this article is talking about is reasons why I believe the whole red pill, manosphere, um, you know, create content of the past year that's really blown up why it is blown up yeah because there 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 is an outcry of hurting from the men who who for some reasons feel displaced and fear feel voiceless yeah. and so you know like i said i don't want to talk about any particular individual but it's easy for them to latch on certain voices yeah. because of, of of what these articles are talking about yeah. And so I, I really believe, um, you know, these are some of the reasons why content like this is growing like wildfire, um, because there's not a, men have felt so belittled. And so my question to you as an outsider, when you watch those other channels in those in those spaces, what so you talking about like the red pill mouse? Yeah. yeah okay, gotcha. What what were some of the things that you saw immediately just upon initial? Um, realizing and learning about those channels? I don't... <clears throat> uh, I have a homeboy, Sean, who is really into it. Okay. So he's the one that really... As you know, remember Sean, he was used to podcast with me back, back in the day. So he's the one who really, really is like keeps me up on... He's the one who introduced me to Kevin Samuels. Um, my... I think I, I... I reiterate what you say. Like, things blow up even no matter how you feel about Donald Trump, Donald Trump is who he is because there is a segment of the world that felt like they were voiceless. And so here's an audience for you. You know what I'm saying? When people feel like they're being marginalized, they, they look for voices. And the people who supply that voice for them, you know what I'm saying? Uh, they get platforms. And what I saw was, yeah, there are people who are speaking to a group to ish now sometimes it's I feel like it's uh salacious for you know just it, it doesn't seem to be necessary to go to a, those particular uh extremes uh I do think there is a very and this is why I appreciate you there's a balance between having a having a, an adoration for men and being manly and talk about masculinity while at the same time not being demoralizing to women uh, I do feel like there are some channels that just uh, speak of speak of women in a way that I think are just utterly disrespectful. And uh, so, um, yeah, I think there's a way of being charitable and being passionate and being 
um, are ch charitable and empathetic, are, are uh, showing empathy, while at the same time being traditionally manly, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? And so um, I, I will admit that there's not a lot that I see that will keep me in those spaces for long periods of time outside of you, bro. And I'm not just saying that because you're here. Uh, I listen, I'll, I'll, I'll watch clips from people and I'll be like, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then two minutes later, I'd be like, okay, this. Yeah, this yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> But I'd be like, oh, it's good. This is good content. But it's also very interesting to me why so many women watch it because I think women recognize the need for it as well. Yeah. It's speaking to the deficiency in our culture of mentorship yeah. that men need. Yeah. This right here is is evident not just economically but socially, yeah. spiritually as well. When, when people, there's a, if anything, I would say it's more of a spiritual deficiency that creates all the other deficiencies. You get people to understand who they are inwardly, they work better. They understand why they work. They have more purpose in their work. And guess what that, what comes along with that is money. What comes along with that is opportunity and the passing down of wealth and legacy. But the problem is, is, Moses does this, or, G, or, or God works through Moses in Egypt. He, he says, look, I want to give you um, this opportunity to free my people. They need liberation, but we need a leader to do that, and I want you to be that leader. But once you lead them out, they need new laws, right? So they did business one way. They lived one way. We can't live like the Egyptians anymore. Here's this new way of law, life that they need to leave. But then after that, I don't want to give you a land, a place where you guys can build and flourish. And I don't even, that's not always even like technical land. That can be institutions. Like where can we be successful and then lastly, give legacy. So we need, in order to have true liberation, you need leaders. You need people who understand new laws. You need land and you need to be able to give a legacy. And if spiritually... You can't do that stuff if you're if you're disintegrated, if yeah. you're fragmented. Yeah, no. I think to me, I've always, you know, obviously we we've said it multiple times. I don't view myself as red pill man or any of that stuff. I'm not I, really I, sure what is red pill. Break that down to me real real quick. So here's the reality. Uh -huh. Whenever I try to explain this word, <laughs> there's somebody on the internet who's part of this movement who wants to dissect and say how gotcha. wrong so I am. Don't even, don't don't. But even I'm gonna still do. I'm gonna still do so okay. you can understand Got this. You. It's, it's a very neo-Marxist word. And I use neo-Marxist because it's a very postmodern ideology mm -hmm. where it really has no objective definition. Gotcha. So you ask 50 people to define it, everyone will define it in its own unique way. So what I've always said is I generalize. I look at, I've talked, I've, I've talked to, have seen, I've listened to almost every main person in the movement so I've generalized it to the truth about intergender dynamics. Okay. So that's really what it is. The truth about intergender dynamics between male nature and female nature. The okay. truth about that. But then the reality is, it's like, it's the truth according to whom? Mm -hmm. Right? So mm -hmm. like the, you know, like the, um, the uh, Seventh-day Adventists, right, is the truth according to whatever their leader was right? right so it's like it's kind of like in that space where each individual shares their end of the truth but but the truth is really in my opinion uh, um focused in on the 
depravity of man and especially female. So the, so the, a lot of times the content is based upon the depravity of the female species, which is true, but without a gospel redemptive, redemptive message, it's so easy to go into nihilism and cynicism and, and, and bitterness because if all you heard about life was, you know, what is that, Romans 1? You know what I mean? It's about just the depravity of man and how man is corrupted and man has turned. Like, that will leave you very angry. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That no okay cool cool yeah. cool so I forgot I, I I deterred you you were going somewhere yeah and I just I just kind of I've heard the term yeah and I was just like I don't know what that is yeah but. so like similar to the Matrix like right. Neo took the red right. pill to learn the truth right people learn the truth about intergender especially gotcha. in regards gotcha. to women interesting so, so interesting yeah so the reality of the matter is a lot of people in broken households this is the truth mm, okay you know what I mean I'm so like. For let's say in regards to when they, when they talk about um, respect, mm -hmm. okay, like you know women today don't re aren't respectful. You know they talk about talk to men anyhow. As I'm reading this article, when it talks about how the how low the wages of men are, yeah. and how in a lot of places, you know the black women are earning more than the men. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine how some guys can see that in my home. My mom, who felt more of an economic burden, talked down upon my dad, looked down upon my dad. And that reiterated his feeling when he got heartbroken by that girl he was really interested in. You know what I mean? So I'm looking at a lot of what this article is talking about and the way our culture has been so defragmented, like you said, that reinforces the cynicism. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, but then also you, you, you take that and you, you throw in this kind of like the sexual revolution 2.0 that we're going through. Yes. Um, the, just the, 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 the frivolousness of our sexuality yeah. and the lack of commitment we have because people <sighs> think marriage is an antiquated, you know, partnership. I want, I, I, just, I want to talk to you. All about of that, that stuff does not equal and <laughs> not all of that stuff doesn't equal healthy relationships but then we turn around and we wonder why black communities are still far behind economically educationally well we don't we're, when we're losing and also trying to tear the family apart even more yeah. then it's like there's no way we're going to build healthy institutions when it where it shows statistics and evidence shows like when you have two parents in a home for long periods of time economic status children all that stuff is benefits from that and this is where I, I want I want I want you to walk me through and walk the people through um, some of these ideas that I'm going to I'm going to throw All at right. you. Right. And so um, I want to talk about what you talked about with the frivolousness of of, you know, of the, of especially sexuality today, right. the, the detestment for a lot of men when it comes to marriage. Um, and I want to walk you through some interesting ideas. Right. So have you heard of a concept called luxury beliefs before? I've not. So there's this guy's name is Rob Henderson, and he's um, really excited about talking to him. And he created, coined this term called luxury beliefs, and it's and it's a belief where he says privileged people oh, can have wow. certain beliefs that if it. you add this belief to a different community, it doesn't it, it exist. Doesn't, yeah, oh, so, that makes. 
What is so this Rob? Who is he? Is he a philosopher? What is uh, he? He's actually I think he's a student at um, Cambridge. I believe. Okay. A, yeah. I love. So I I I have that belief system. Yes. I just didn't. I, I didn't have. A, I don't have a term for it. But yes. Yes. Rob Henderson. Yes. Yes, Rob Henderson. Yeah. Yes. So when he talks about this luxury belief, he said like here's here's an example of a luxury of belief. So he talked about. Um, let's do a simple one. Defund the police. A lot of liberal whites, elitist whites, love promoting the idea of defund polices because uh-huh. in their gated communities, uh-huh. in their neighborhoods, uh-huh. in their <laughs> environments, there's no like uh-huh. blue collar crime, right? Most of the crime is cyber crime, with yeah. taxes and stuff like yeah. that. So in their world, they're like, "Why do we need the police? They don't right. do anything but just, <laughs> right. you know, yeah, right. write traffic tickets." Yeah. Like, in their in their word, yeah. you can you can have that belief, but what happens is, and they they, they said this. Um, Jordan Peterson said, and that these um I forgot this this philosopher who said it, but when the rich sneeze, the poor get pneumonia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean I don't know, but I what's the name? Uh, I forgot who also said it, but anyway, keep going. Yeah, keep yeah. Going. So the idea is that the rich people promote a luxury belief that mm-hmm. seems just like oh so believe but then the poor people are the ones that suffer from it absolutely i have a real quick antidote go ahead so a personal antidote two of them really actually um i walk outside my house at 5 30 in the morning on my way to the gym trying to get like you <laughs> and i step outside and i see two young dudes in my in my yard 5 30 in the morning and i'm looking and i see one dude straight like maybe 20 feet maybe 40 feet from me and i'm like this is odd. Like, why is he? And he's talking real loud when I open my door at 530 in the morning. And then what I realized, he's signaling to somebody else. So then I look to my right and I see my drive. I see a young dude running out of my, like, from my backyard in my driveway. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And so I'm like, I'm now the adrenaline's pumping yeah. to me. I'm about to chase these dudes down. But then I think, I was like, I don't know what they got. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's two of them. They, you know, take me, but they just take off running down my street. And I was thinking, like, do I, do I call the police? What do I do in this situation? Like, I am anti-police. Now, just for the record, for those people watching, I am maybe defund the police. I am maybe abolish prisons. Yeah. That's just my personal belief. Yeah. I also recognize that to be a luxury belief. Yeah. At least I admit it. Like, yeah. I admit it. Um, and so I was like, show, if you really believe, like, do, do in this situation, if you're really about defund the police or about, you wouldn't call the police now. You would figure out a way and how to handle this situation yourself. And so I didn't because I'm like, what, what happens? I call the police. There's a police interaction with these youth. Maybe the police shoot them. And now I'm like, man, these two youth. But then I also thought about this other antidote. Uh, during, the, during the protest last year, there was a lot of co- just crazy, mysterious firecracker-like phenomenon was yeah, happening yeah, in major cities. Yeah. And literally, it felt like in my backyard these grade A military fireworks are just going off. And I'm like, who in the hell is popping these? Like, who got them? And I was just thinking, I was like, in a situation like this, who's going to tell these young kids, stop popping those damn firecrackers? Because I go out there and I'm like, hey, y'all. And this has happened before. I'm like, hey, man, whoop-de-whoop. You know, can y'all please, you know, whoop-whoop. And they're like, F you, F you, bro. You ain't go back in your house for a while. Uh -uh." And what do I do then? (laughs) What do I do then? Do I go get my gun? Do I come out? Do we we start shooting at each other? Like, what do I do? Or do I call the police, right, to handle the situation? And 
What, what if it's not me? What if it's like an old woman who needs to wake up in the morning and go to work and she can't because these firecrackers, she, she, is she going to come outside and tell them? To, are they going to listen to her? Yeah. And so in situations like that, we need interventions. We need people to intervene. And I'm not saying police are the, always the answer, but I there's a luxury that I have in many of those situations where if the grocery store was to get burned down down the street from my house, to go back to an earlier antidote, I can drive to the Trader Joe's, the Whole Foods, the Publix, which I don't know if they have a, the Publix, and go shopping. But everybody on my street can't do that. And so there are some things in which we have to, when we broach these kind of conversations as privileged people, you have to realize what you're espousing. Exactly. So another luxury he believe he talked about was from the, from the white liberals is that one of the things that they can do is believe something for a period of time and then change their mind because of resources and opportunities that allow them to. So an example he gave was like a lot of the young women when they were young and they're feminists, they're like, I will never get married. I will never have kids. Da -da 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 -da. They'll say all those things. And then when they're 35, you know, get in vitro fertilization. Exactly. You know I, mean? I was about to say the you same know? thing. They, I was about to say they get, get that in vitro. You know, they change their mind. They get in vitro. They, they get a surrogate. They do all these things. Oh, right. I changed my mind later on in life. But not knowing that those ideas espoused to the lower income people, right. they can't just change their mind at 40 and say, right. now I want to have kids. Right. And so he Now was, they're in greater risk. Exactly. All kinds of things, especially in black communities. Yes. Exactly. So he was saying that a lot of the ideas are perpetuated by these uh, by these individuals and then it trickles down and then we believe the garbage filth of ideas and it plagues our, our mindset. So one of the things I've seen is that, especially when it comes to marriage, because when I, when I look at all these things, I look at it all in the article, when it talks about the education problem, when it talks about the upper mobility problem, when it talks about the labor force participation problem, when it talks about the earning problem, all these problems, I'm like, one of the magical antidotes <laughs> to this chaos is men and women raising their children in healthy families. Amen. Men and women raising their children in the healthy families. And so to me, one of the- Bahafis, that's problematic. That's problematic, <laughs> That's patriarchy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I get it, bro. I get it. Like, yeah, the, but it's fail-proof. Yeah, and it is failed proof throughout history. And it's so funny that, like you said, the, the women who espouse its patriarchy is college is getting paid off by their dads who who benefited from their patriarchal system. You couldn't you wouldn't be able to go to Yale and, and, and dye your hair purple and picket fence Jordan Peterson if it wasn't for your dad's you're so, privilege. You're gonna leave these 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 purple hair girls alone, dog. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I, there's a there's a yeah, man, there's a there's a level to so another anecdote. Yeah. I was speaking at I was speaking at a college. I'm not gonna say which college. I was speaking at a college and uh and uh I get to talking about the civil rights movement. And this, 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 um, I guess this, this queer brother stands up and he goes off on the civil rights movement in churches and talking about the, um, the kind of like the patriarchal beliefs and ideologies. And I'm listening to him. I'm, I'm like, I hear you, bro. And, and honestly, to some degree, I agree that you're, you're making some sense. However, a lot of the reason why you are even here and have the ability to make these types of arguments. Yeah. And to have the audacity yeah. 
to stand up and share what you're sharing is because of the legacy that those individuals fought for for you to be the individual you are right now 100%. and to share your your ideas freely without castigation you know what i'm saying or without you know um ostracization you know what i'm saying and so to some degree we all have to understand that we come from something yeah. we come from legacy and uh the privileges that we have today are because of other people before us. So before we shame the work of other people, understand how you and why you have the platform you have now. A hundred percent. So no, I, uh, yeah. yeah. And so the, so I thought about how a lot of the anti-marriage movement is I, and I, and I understand the, the, the hesitations for a lot of the guys, but to me, I'm like, the anti-marriage movement, especially in the black community, only further destroys our community because at the end of the day, our men will be raised by single mothers. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, this, this belief is only gonna hurt us. Not if yet, we have absolutely. a whole generation of competent, um, competent, talented, educated men who are saying, we don't want to get married, and then end of the day, they're probably still gonna have sex, and Absolutely. they're eventually probably gonna have children because you have sex enough, you're gonna have kids. Now you're gonna you're gonna perpetuate this problem, and so to me, it's it's something where, you know, as a, as an individual who's been married for how long? Been married for like 17, 18 years. Eighteen years. I gotta Go make sure. Eighteen years <laughs> for going yeah. on twenty years. For all for so many of the men who are so anti-marriage, especially in the black community, what would you say is any message of, 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 of hope or positivity yeah. that you can, you can share to them that can be able to prevent them from perpetuating the cycles of single parenthood that their fathers did before them? Well, I think one, we have to begin to paint a, a, a accurate, honest depiction of marriage, right? Yes. I think, you know. And what is that? What is the honest depiction of marriage? Sacrifice. Okay. It's just, it's all, it's all it is. All relationships, all successful relationships survive and thrive off of sacrifice, self-denial, the consideration of the other. You know what I mean? And if, even if you want to go to racial tension in this country, how you survive and how we get through that is the sacrificing of your own self-interest for the benefit of another person. And so you take that into the you know work relationship. You could take that into you know friendships, and you could take that especially in the marriage. Um, I want people to see my flawed but happy marriage. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Really and that we can work through very contentious times, but uh, it's going to be messy. Yeah, we're two messy individuals, but we're going to love each other, and we're going to try to figure out how to make it work. I do think there's a disconnect in. And I hate I hate trying to be the dude who's like, you know, generation now ain't about working hard. I don't look, I don't know. All generations yeah, yeah, yeah. have their issues. Yeah, yeah. But I will say there is a I feel there is a air of lack of commitment. Cause when you're so connected, you don't have to have a commitment to anything. Like so that's everything from work. Well, I don't want to work here, I'll find another job. I don't like going to this church, I go to another church. Oh, I don't like you, I can find another person just by swiping right, swiping left. And I do think there is something about longevity, endurance that has been lost. And, uh, you know, also love is not this romantic thing that Hollywood and, and literature, it's actually an understanding of two people coming together willing to sacrifice 
despite the ups and downs of their relationship. Um, and I think we 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 believe the hype that there has to be this gushy feeling. My wife and I have been through seasons where I'm like, I do not like you right now, but there is an a I'll say just a contract that we made with one another that says that I am going to figure out why we don't like each other and we're going to make it through mm. in order to get to the place where we do love each other again. And then all of that, I mean, other than that, we have these children that we've made a commitment to to raise and to give a healthy life now and later for. And so until we can, the people like myself and hopefully you pretty soon and other individuals out there can be confident to put their lives out there and say, look, look at my flawed but beautiful, happy marriage. I think you can model what I am trying to do. But guess what? Uh, you're going to see the good and you're going to see the messiness. And, and, and so that's what I would say is, man, like, you know, observe, observe. We talked about observing earlier. You know what I mean? Um, the way you, you, you become a successful person is because you observe other people who've done what you, what you desire to do or to be. And so, um, but then there's also, you have to speak to the people's self-interest. Yeah. And the self-interest is, is if you want to alleviate some of these problems here, most social scientists agree. Yeah. Marriage alleviates those problems. It's not perfect, but it does, it does alleviate those problems. Like you're promised to, you, you, you come together, you build legacy, you leave your kids with legacy. That's how you generate wealth. Yeah. That's how your kids build. <laughs> and then they leave their kids stuff. But when you have this fragmented relationship between generations, nobody's leaving anything for anybody because everybody's just worried about themselves and fulfilling their own, you know, sexual desires or, or, or social desires. And then what happens is we have a bunch of orphaned individuals just floating around who have a veneer mm -hmm. of togetherness, but are emotionally and socially empty. No, that's so powerful because two things stood out in the back of my mind as you as you were just talking. I wrote this down. The first thing was that what what helped me so much, and I feel like a lot of the guys who are in this space, go. It's literally ties into your book. If you were to create a news station and you wanted to maximize profit, would you sell positive or negative stories? Right now, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm negative stories. hundred percent. I'm selling all the negative stories. So, I'm trying to <laughs> so to make money, negativity sells. Absolutely. So what has happened is in the content creation space, what every creator quickly finds out is negativity sells. So what ends up happening is that if you don't redeem your work and have that personal responsibility, like you talk about it in the book, and I want to. I want to have this book right here. <laughs> Put that thing in frame. Yeah. Put like, that thing in frame. So when, when, when people don't talk about having a redeemed identity and, and, and flesh out that worth, you can do immoral work where you're doing things to maximize profit but destroy society. Absolutely. So one of the things I've seen is that a lot of guys who are in this space, they realize what gives them the most profit. And what gives them the most profit is highlighting some of the worst relationships and worst caliber of women in society. And so to me, what I've always said is that now you have a whole generation of men who are being raised up by only seeing the negative aspect. And what really needs to happen is we need to see the best of both worlds. 
what benefited me was seeing your marriage, seeing your brother's marriage, seeing John's marriage, Moochie's marriage, James's marriage, Chad's marriage, Aaron Anderson's marriage, being able to see that, see my dad's marriage, Zach Marco. I got to see so many guys for so many years go through ups and downs and trials and tribulations. And, and I got to see what it really looks like. And then I got to see some of the really bad ones, which I won't talk about on the podcast. So I got, I got to see how bad it can get but also how good it can get. And what, I, what I've seen is that that flawed but happy marriage that you described, most people have never seen that with their eyes. They don't even believe that's possible. They're so consumed with the negativity of their broken homes or their broken environments or the broken media that they consume that they're, they're so hopeless. And that's why so many men are cynical today when it comes to marriage. Do you think, do you think it's, I feel, man, I don't know if I believe you though, bro. I okay, think go ahead. I think people do see it. I think there's enough of it out there that people see it. I just don't think people want it because it's not sexy. My question to you is why do you think there's why do you think people see it? I think there's enough. One, um, we have a per we had a perfect example of it in the White House, right? Yeah. The Obamas were, I mean, you know. The perfect picture of a happy black marriage. Mm -hmm. I do think because of social media, we see the celebration of black families, black relationships. There's yeah. like black love, yeah. uh, the, a very popular social media uh, account. And so what I'm saying is I do think there are lots of celebrating. There's a lot of celebrating of black relationship, black marriages. However, I think what's more enticing is the one night stand is the... The hookups mm. is I'm, I'm a little old, so I don't know whatever terms yeah. you use right now, but you know what I'm saying? It's the sliding in the DMs. That's yeah. the more, it's more enticing because people feel like I am going to miss out on something. Yeah. If I lock myself down and I commit to this woman, oh snap, shorty right there. Oh snap. Like, oh, yo, it's, it's the inability for us to curb our, 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 our appetite. It's the inability for us to deny ourselves and self-gratification because the world does not want us to, to deny ourselves. You look at the, the, every advertisement is buy this, consume this, buy this, consume this. Look at this celebrity. who That's who they're dating. You can be like this. You can be like them. And it's like, well, yeah, I want to be like them. I want that. I want that veneer. I want that life. And we curate it on social media when the reality is we'll chase it, chase it, chase it, eat it, eat it, consume it, consume it, and then we're still empty. Yeah. No, I, I think, and, and, and especially in the practice I'm in, I think sometimes the... The black male is is characterized as this hypersexual oh, yeah, conquistador yeah, type of individual. That's the young buck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think that those guys do exist who are these, you know, individuals who love sexual diversity, who's, who's you know, mm -hmm. that Bobber was a role and stuff, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like that mm -hmm. kind of yeah, guys yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But I do believe there's a, 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 the, the, the guys in the middle, right? Uh -huh. the, the average guys, I don't think they're built like him or even have the opportunities like him yeah. where he does desire for the family. But I, I think that the reason why I say this is that I think that most people don't live in the real world anymore and they live online. And the fundamental problem online is, is negativity creates virality. Yeah, it does. You're right, bro. What, I mean, like, I tell people all the time, I'm like, you don't, 
like first example, Candace Owens came on the podcast and talked about the biggest problem of women today. One of my most viral clips ever, 2.5 million views. Blew up everywhere. What'd she say? She was just saying how- Did you put some clothes on? <laughs> yes, put some clothes on? Definitely. She basically said how feminism and stuff like that has created you. Uh, you. you know women where they're not just you know yeah. meritable. Literally the next week, one of another guy who I loved a lot, his name is Jose Zuniga, is a very popular influencer. He came and he talked about the biggest problem with men today. Mm-hmm. Barely got any, you know, didn't didn't even do a tenth of what the Candace video did. Mm-hmm. So to me, what I realized is that certain messages yeah. aren't, you know, as um viral and what the algorithm I was I was watching a Joe Rogan interview where he talked about how the algorithm pushes us to the most um polarizing negative content yeah, absolutely but uh, to play devil's advocate Go here ahead. you knew that having Candace on on would create that though you had to know that listen <laughs> you had to know that no I'm not I'm not denying that having Candace on would have done that so right. I'm not, but I do think it's genius though I think it's I'll say I think it's genius in you bringing her on because let's just say, and I'm not saying this, let's just say you took that L to gain other victories because now people brought their eyeballs and you're able to communicate a message that you really want them to hear. Yeah, no, honestly, I didn't disagree with what Candace said. (laughs) Okay, Okay. I I don't know what she said. She often says stuff that I'm like, okay, Candace, shut your mouth. (laughs) So I didn't disagree with what Candace said, but the point of the matter was that I know for a fact I even me. Let's uh, I'm ignore Candace. Let's do me. This if I do videos called five amazing things about women today yeah. versus five terrible things about women today. Yeah, you know it, the it's terrible. Night yeah. and day yeah. difference. So Absolutely. what I'm seeing is that there's a whole generation of men who they're they're being raised on the negativity. Yeah. To me, it's just like it's like white people when it comes to black people. If you if your relationship with black people is what you see on the news. Think about that. Imagine if you're a white person and all you know about black people is what you see on your local news. In today's news, Daquan robbed the store. In today's news, Jamal did this. It's like all you're going to see. Why can't that brother be John? It's just Mark. Why you got to be Daquan and Jamal? Listen, the guy in the news who's robbing his store. His, his name, name is Daquan. Daquan. <laughs> True enough story. One of, my, one of my old students, he pulled up the other day. We were watching the football game and he showed me a video where one of my other old students is wanted across the country for, for scamming loads all around the country. And literally, like, typical, it's so sad. So There's a, there's a certain ingenuity about the, the inner city hustle that is admirable. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like the way y'all be scamming. Y'all niggas know what y'all doing. If we can turn that, and that's the question I wanted to ask you. Go ahead. If you, if you can turn that into legitimate work, it's, it's beautiful. I remember going to Tuskegee. And there would be it would be dudes in our dorm. So it's HBCUs. I don't know if it's the same way today, but mo- back in the day, you couldn't have girls in your dorms, and guys couldn't be in female dorms. And so we used to have these magnets where you, you know, you know, they still um, you hit the fob door. So you couldn't use a key. These jokers learned how to rig the doors. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I was like, these same dudes who rigged the doors didn't go to class. Yeah, yeah, they was flunking yeah, out, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was like. The ingenuity that yeah. y'all use yeah. to manipulate these doors. If y'all just used yeah. it in class, yeah. we'd be a special, look, we'd be going places right yeah, now. definitely. But I wanted to ask you this. It's a detour from what we were talking. Oh, no, we're good. How much of this unemployment do you, I don't know the definition. I was trying to look up the definition of unemployment, yeah. like how they define unemployment. Would you consider yourself, would you be labeled as unemployed? No. 
because I'm self-employed. But but what I'm saying, like, is it because you file taxes or whatever. I wonder. I'm wondering how much of. I see where you're going. I wonder how much of the non-traditional way in which people make money yeah. is considered unemployment. Because I do think a lot of black men, whether it be like, for instance, in the industry that I spend a lot of time in, producers, yeah. engineers, um, rappers, yeah. singers, they don't clock into a place in, in nine to five. And so the way that they report their income is a little different from the way that well, if they report I that think, John, I'm yeah. just gonna say Daquan. Daquan's <laughs> the way Daquan reports his income is gonna be different from John's reporting of his income. Yeah. And so does is that considered unemployment? Even no, uh, okay, no, because because I think unemployment, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you don't have a job and then you're looking for a job. That's unemployment. Joblessness is you don't have a job and you've quit looking, you quit for, a looking for a job. Right. And so okay. uh, anybody who's, if you're not filing taxes, obviously it's illegal. Right, 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 right. right. You know what I mean, but anybody who's like filing taxes or, you know, you know working contract jobs, stuff like yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. they're still self-employed individuals. Yeah, I know, yeah, I figured that, but I don't know. I didn't know if they consider that, Yeah. A f like if it's those self-employed, those contractors are considered in the rates. Oh of no, I think they're, I'll, I'll think they're, they're considered that. Uh, are they considered in the market? Oh yeah, they, yeah they're considered the, in, the, uh, in, the, right. in the marketplace. Yeah, so yeah, I learned something. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so the, the the point I was making is that I feel like a lot of negativity, you know, me perpetuates into the ide ideologies, and I also and I also believe that, and this is this is my personal opinion in regards to what what causes breakdown in family, when men cannot feed their families, men tend to not only withdraw from society, but men also tend to lead unstable relationships. And so to me, I'm thinking about, uh, I was watching, I forgot the documentary, I think it's called Bastards of a Party. Did you ever see a documentary? I think it was a story about the Crips and Bloods in um, Compton. It's a documentary how they formed and it was very interesting because I even looked this up. If you, I think it's called like if you type in 1950s Compton High School yearbook, all white. Oh yeah, yeah. Watts was the same one. Yeah, same yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it showed like the the switch. And literally, I, I forgot what year I wrote this down. A couple, of, I think it was like either 63 and 64. Yeah. Or 62 and 63, you will literally see the switch yeah. where it was like a few black faces, all black faces. And I could be wrong, so don't quote me on this one, but they said there, I think there was a Tyson factory that was that was in that area and then it moved. Yeah. So all the blacks during the second great migration who flooded to Los Angeles right. for these factory yeah. jobs, all of a sudden they left. Yeah. And it caused the breakdown of family. So one of the things when I was looking at this, and I was like, man, when you have men who cannot have jobs to feed their families, that creates so much of the friction. Yeah. I can only imagine for 18 years of marriage, financial struggles create a lot of friction. Oh yeah, that's the main, I mean, yeah, it's a, yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. And work, and this is the reason why work is more than just, so when I talk about to go back to our earlier, my earlier rant about the gospel, Work is so important because it's a dignifying activity. And I'm not talking about just vocation. I'm talking about activity in itself is worship. Mm. Um, if I can get theological real quick, the reality of it is, is people oftentimes look at work as some sort of curse that God put on us. Mm. But God assigned work before there was ever sin. 
And so if he assigned work before there was sin, that means work in itself is worship. And so for men to work, for women to work is an actual direct connection to the creator himself. And so when you deny your, when you are, when you are been denied the opportunity to do that, when you are put in the margins or when your work is demoralizing, it is a, it is a, it, it oftentimes what happens is creates this fragmented view of who you are and your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. So it's no coincidence when people are unemployed, when people can't participate in this God given thing that families fall apart Yes, because you begin to fall apart inwardly. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's evident. A hundred percent. I love that. And, and so to me, when I, like I said, when I was reading this article, I was like, man, they did a good job in my opinion of diagnose, diagnosing the problem, but like most organizations, they fall short with the solutions because the solutions always, it's always wait for the government to change X, Y, and Z before you become A, B, and C. And so to me, I, I really want men, especially in the black community, but all men to be able to have work of value and meaning to have purpose of value and meaning, to have an identity of value and meaning, and to have a family which will give you your value, your meaning, your purpose as well. So to me, it, it really hurts me, the downward mobility. I've oftentimes listened to people and been like, yo, that, that view is, is and it's, it's made me a better human being. It's given me a, a perspective to, to not, just see the worst in my opposition, if you will. Um, I often think about if we don't view ourselves, I often think like maybe we're not as righteous as we think we are. And if we're not as righteous as we think we are, maybe our opposition is not as evil as we hope them to be. Mm, you know what I'm saying? Powerful. And I think the more you engage in content like that, the more you do the things you're doing, I think that gives us a very healthy balance of the lack of righteousness that we may have and the human dignity in our opposition. I love that, man. Show where can they find you at? Uh, I am one of the worst people on social media yeah. platform. I never post and tweet, but all my platforms are A-M-I-S-H-O, Amisho Baraka, B-A-R-A-K-A. -A. Mm -hmm. I have a website, Barakaology, B-A-R-A-K-A-O-L-O-G-Y.com, and that kind of can keep you up on all the things that I'm yeah, doing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is that is who I am, bro. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. I think to me, the two things that stood out from our conversation, just for not only the black community, for America in general, is yeah. one, the human dignity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, finding that identity of yourself, which then you can find the identity and value of your brother, but also the longevity of each individual making a change mm -hmm. into their life to building it, um, to, to, to have the life in the future and to leave a legacy of, of greatness. And I think, that there's so many great examples online that people can follow, you know, yourself yeah. and, and so many other individuals as well. So I appreciate you. I would you. say find also, bro. Thank you so much. But find people close to you that Yo, you can yeah, model. Definitely. Like, just don't live online to your point. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. So so definitely there's the digital mentorship, but there's yeah, a yeah, physical yeah, yeah. mentorship Absolutely. where definitely whether, you, like, you know, be that annoying kid that I was in my early 20s, find somebody. <laughs> who you can be able to model life from and to be able to use them as an example. Yeah. Um, but man, I appreciate you. I come bearing last year. I want to give you these gifts, bro. Oh, wow. Gifts. 
Here you go. I don't know if you got a record player. Oh, no, I don't. But get one. That is my album and narrative. Oh, wow. Thank and, you. Uh, I think I may have sold out of your size at the event earlier today. Okay. But you got muscles and you like your shirts tight. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if good, I can't fit my fiance, it's, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a medium disrespect to my, my album. Oh, my bad. Yeah, bro. Be good. It's good culture because yeah. I think you're a part of the, the, the group of people who are trying to make a good culture. You thank you saying? so much. So thank you very much, man. Continue to do what you do. Thank you, guys. Brother, so be a blessing. Guys, Friday, December 3rd. Look forward to seeing you guys in Dallas, Texas. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Hit up Uncle Show. Let them know what about this podcast set out to you. My name is I'm joined by Show Baraka. We had a roommates and have a great day.